Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined by Meredith. Hello. Hello. So you asked me right before we started recording, how was your night? And I was like, well, I could tell you now, or I could wait till we're recording, which is what I chose. Um, Because I feel like I should plug the show anyway, just because it was really fun. So I went with friend of the show, Chris, to go see uh, Anna Gasteyer, who, if you're a big SNL fan, was on the cast back in the day. Extremely funny. Um, She has like a cabaret show at Le Poisson Rouge. And she has like a full band and she's got some pipes on her. Like I knew from SNL she could sing. But this was like belting, like quite, quite good. And she plays uh, the fiddle and it was a fucking delight. It was so funny. It was so fun. She has like this loyal following that I guess goes to her Christmas show every year. And she's been doing this for years and years and years. And she tours with it every year. And it's a fucking good time. So if you're ever in the city or if you're in one of the cities she tours uh, with, or tours too, I guess. Um, check out Anna Gasteyer. She's a fucking blast. Ugh. So yeah, I did that last night, which was super fun. And yeah, did you have any life updates you wanted to share? Uh, nothing in particular. Have found, you know, got got a couple of good news things this week, which I'm pretty pleased Ooh. about. But can't really talk about them yet. But it seems like perhaps. 2024 will start out well, uh, which is a godsend given that 2023 is ending. Yeah. Dumpster fire. Yeah. I, it's sad that that's like the best we can hope for. Like, hopefully the year will start well, like cringe crossing fingers. I hope, uh, maybe not world war three. Huh? Yeah. Um, um, and also, so, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, and, uh, yeah. a week from today, I will be, uh, landing in Costa Rica and spending nice. a week hanging out, doing ecotourism, generally just being in the warm. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Costa Rica's dope. Have the best time. Oh, I should mention before we get to everything, this is our last episode before we're going to break for the holidays. So Meredith and I will be back after New Year's. Um, But yeah, everyone have a wonderful holiday. And if you have any news, if you need to vent about your family, you could go to my Patreon, (laughs) patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. You know, well, I I really don't like shows that are like, we'll give you advice. But um, yeah, if you just need to vent, it's a safe space to vent. Uh, so before we get to, we have a comment uh, for, on the Patreon. But before we get to that, our recommendations. By the way, can you hear my heat going crazy in the background or no? No, I cannot. Although Great. I imagine it's got to be that horrifying hissing sound. That- no, so <laughs> mine is like the banging. Like somebody's in the walls with a mallet just banging on pipes. That's the version I get <laughs> in oh, my apartment building. Yeah, yeah. Apparently what causes it is there's air that's stuck in the pipes and you can get it expelled. Like if you contact your landlord and you're like, it, the decibels are insane. Um, I've heard that if you record it and send it to the landlord and they agree that it's quite bad, they'll like manually force the air out, but it's a whole thing. And, you know, I'm not trying to start shit with my landlord. So I just like quietly deal with it. But it is so loud. So, oh, loud. but I'm glad yeah. you can't hear it. I'm glad you can't hear it. No, you're uh, good. So before we get to recommendations and stuff, a couple trailers I wanted to talk about. Uh, we got a Dune 2 trailer, a new one, and it looks so fucking spectacular. I lost my mind when not one, not two, but three goddamn worms, everybody. Three goddamn worms show up uh, mid-war. And you you have to know you're fucked, right? If you see three gigantic worms, like you lost. Yeah. You lost, buddies. And especially if the three worms are being ridden by people who absolutely fucking hate you. And uh, a weird little space dictator who's 
rapidly gaining powers in a very alarming way and perhaps doesn't have the best moral compass. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Hmm. uh, do you want to talk about the fact that it seems that perhaps things are moving in the direction of us also getting a third Dune movie? Okay. So this is still like kind of a rumor, but it's kind of been confirmed where pre-production announcements get made and it's like a little hush hush but people in the know like say if you're um an insane dune fan who is following these things as the official uh dune accounts are run by <laughs> uh <laughs> noticed that dune messiah is in pre-production which makes sense because denis takes a really long time yeah with the stuff he works on because he's very thorough and meticulous so it seems like we're gonna get a fucking trilogy from Denis for Dune, which is what he always wanted, but obviously Warner Brothers didn't want to financially commit to it until they saw the first one was a massive hit and very decorated by the Oscars. And they were like, oh, so this is not only a commercial hit, it's also like, you know, it has a prestige to it, which studios love. So looks like we're at least going to get three. Ugh. And God, a third one. It'd be so weird if they got to God Emperor of Dune. I just don't know how you even film it, but I'm like, if anybody could film it, it's Denny. I mean, he's been thinking about it since, since he's a child. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. tiny. He's been imagining this. He's been prepping for his whole life. I, yeah. You know, it could be a disaster, but like, give the man <laughs> the money to try it. That's how I feel. I'm like, he has earned the right to go down in flames. Like at this point, like he's given us such a spectacular movie in the first one. The second one looks incredible that I'm like, at this point, like, what does this man have to do to get his blank check? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. And it seems like this will be his blank check, which I'm thrilled for him. Um, So also we got another trailer, Civil War. Uh, the, the new trailer Alex for Civil War Garland just came out. film. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Alex Garland because he is consistently making stuff that seems like it would be my bag. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, no, it's not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the other day I called him my favorite director who consistently makes B minus movies. Yeah, exactly. Like men, I think you and I were way warmer on men than many, many people for valid reasons. I thought the final sequence was just so strange and so spectacular that I was like, I got to recommend this because I've never seen anything like this before. But overall, like not a good film, probably. No. You could make that argument. And I think um, there were there were good elements, but it was ultimately like extremely muddled. And when he wants to like, say something he can be very heavy-handed you know like so this is my fear when we stray from and you pointed this out to me and it's a a great note which is i really love annihilation but obviously he did not write annihilation and also annihilation is very firmly in the sci-fi genre and it's not that sci-fi can't also be political we see that with dune you can do both things But when he goes full political, it gets like cringy, heavy handed, like the sort of feminism 101 of men I found to be like quite embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And this. Yeah. And this looks like I and admittedly, I don't know the details, so I have to see the film. And obviously I will see the film. But this also seems like a little like, oh, is this just going to be half baked political theories about like the state of the United States right now, which is like, yeah, we all know, look, are we going to go to civil war one day? Probably, probably. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a little afraid. Does he have any sort of fresh insight into this? Yeah. And, and often when he has an original idea and goes through it, he can set the, conditions for it he can create a world very well but he can't land the plane his final third is always a disaster yeah and i don't know like what his process is if he lets anybody like 
have a second pass at his screenplays. But I think he could potentially really benefit from someone just going in and being like, no, like just like hacking away at a script and and reworking stuff because like men very much had had the feel of a I did not have different drafts of this screenplay. <laughs> it's like this is the first thing I wrote and we shot it. And it's like, okay. Um and obviously like he had that sequence in his head for the end that he really wanted to shoot, which is like I do think there's something there. I just think there's sort of this half-baked you know, uh, feminism scribe around it where it's like, why did you feel like you had to tell this story? First of all, as a man, um, did you talk to a woman at any point? (laughs) I know Jesse at one point she was supposed to cry in a scene and she's like, I would not be sad in this moment. I would be pissed. And he listened to her thankfully, but that's just a great example of like, maybe talk to a woman. (laughs) Yeah, before and, you know, you maybe this. maybe you should have some of this before you have your shooting script. Like you can yeah, get some. Curious get that some you notes. didn't yeah. meet with your lead actress and like talk through the character. Anyway, so um, I've noticed there's this thing that's happening, and it's not new, but people are reacting very strongly to trailers and sort of writing off films immediately. And I'm, this is going to tie into a recommendation I have later for Wonka, but I understand like, it's just a human impulse to have a reaction to a trailer and everybody's entitled to the reaction, whether it's positive or negative, but the people who immediately are like, I'm not going to see the movie. I can't tell you how many classic films got an initial bad reaction from the trailers. Like I'm so old. I remember Paddington had a really negative reaction. People were like, this looks stupid. Why are they doing this? It's unnecessary. And then guess what? Those films turned out to be classics. So again, everybody is entitled to their initial reaction, but the people who are just like, I'm not going to see the film based on a trailer. I'm like, Yikes. I Yikes. I don't like it. It's got to be a TikTok thing, right? Like trailers are now as long as people pay attention. I don't want to be I think too it's even ancient, older. Yeah. I think it's older. I think this has been like since Twitter, honestly. And honestly, it's probably older than that. I'm just more aware of it cuz I see <laughs> like people reacting and people are just like not saying it. It's like or they like they hear it's a musical. Like there's a few musicals coming out right now. Uh, Wonka's one of them, the color purple mean girls. And people are like, eh, I'm not seeing a musical. And it's like, do you hate joy? (laughs) (laughs) You know, especially during the holidays, it's like, come on guys, open our hearts. It's, it's not going to hurt you. If people sing at you, it'll be okay. You know, um, you do adjust. It's always initially sort of like, Oh, these characters are singing and then you adjust and it's fine. But yeah, we'll we'll talk more about it. I'm very curious about how studios are treating musicals right now. Because it's sort of like they're making them, but they're also simultaneously ashamed of them and don't show people singing in the trailer, yeah. which fucks the films because then people go to see it and they're like, whoa, 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 this was a musical? I didn't know this was a musical. So it's like doing a disservice to everyone. And it's sort of like, if you're willing to spend the money on these musicals, why are you hiding the fact that they're musicals? Because everybody is ashamed of liking musicals. I mean, the fundamental problem is that the, the inner theater kid is still considered to be a bad thing. And we're not well, supposed I have to be to excited believe, about it. I have to believe this just boils down to like hard numbers where they're like, people don't like musicals and they're not going to go. But then it's like, okay, so why did you make it? If you know that they're a risk for the box office. Why did you commit at all? Why is the color purple a musical? Why didn't you just make the color purple, the drama, you know? Yeah. Like why go into it <laughs> at all? <laughs> if you're going to do it, it's just, I don't understand the thinking at all. I understand the thinking of you think it's a financial risk, but then I don't understand the step of, but you did it anyway and you continue to do it anyway. So it's like, maybe it's a prestige thing. They know it does well at like, award shows I don't know um what but I would I th- be very curious to know I think a little bit of it is the continuation of IP element so like and you have to keep making when you have IP there's like built into the contract you have to 
keep making it or you lose the rights. Right. So now that we have movies that become musicals, that become musical movies. Yeah. But then again, it's like the IP isn't for a musical. Like Wonka, the IP itself is not a musical. The character of Willy Wonka is IP and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and all that stuff. They made the choice (laughs) to make it a musical. (laughs) So it's like, all right, so you did that. And spoiler, I I really liked Wonka and I think the music's great. Um, But then it's like, so then stand behind it. I think it's really cowardly to make it and then hide it. It's like, I'd be pissed if I was in those movies. Like, we worked really hard on this music. We're like, we love theater. We love these songs. And like, show them in like the fucking trailer. You know, it's so strange. Anyway, so Brian writes in. Um, to my Patreon, which again, for as little as $5 a month, you get to send questions, comments, recommendations. Brian writes, some people rewatch movies around Christmas time. I rewatch reviews of Christmas movies. And one of my longtime favorites that I'd love to share with my fellow troublemakers is the two-part review of the god-awful animated Christmas movie, Christmas is Here Again, from the YouTube channel Isle of Rangoon. Uh, It just isn't Christmas to me unless I've heard two puppets and their friends yelling, shut up, Leno, Uh, LOL. It makes sense in context, I promise. I believe you, Brian. I believe you. Um, As a child who routinely watched Siskel and Ebert like I was a 50-year-old man. Oh, my God. Same, 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 same. I love them so much. So I fully get the whole watching old reviews. yeah, I watch old trailers. Like, I get it. I get it. Um, okay. Recommendations. So, seen a bunch of stuff this week. Oh, my God. And tomorrow I'm seeing back-to-back movies. I'm seeing um, Zone of Interest and American Fiction, <laughs> which you're probably like, why did you pair those together? Um, because that's how the schedule worked out. But I do – I'm sort of fascinated – uh, buy it as like a double header experience. It's going to be a very weird, very weird, like reverse Barbenheimer somehow. I don't know. You, It's going to be yeah. very, very dark is what's going to yes. happen to you. You're going to be in a very I'm weird headspace hoping, when you come out. I'm sort of hoping American fiction will have enough levity that I won't be like crushed spiritually (laughs) by the end, but we'll see. I'll keep, I'll keep everybody posted. But this week I got to see poor things, which I'm so jazzed about because it's one of the films I could not get into during the New York film festival. So I feel like I've been waiting for this film to come out for 1 million years and I finally got to see it and I fucking loved it. Uh, predictably there's a backlash happening to it right now. Um, very, very stupid critiques of it. My favorite slash the worst one being that this is a man's idea of feminism, which I think is like borderline offensive because Emma Stone was very heavily involved in it. And I just, I find it really upsetting when that kind of critique is used at the convenience of the critic and they just ignore what the reality was on the set. And the reality was that, you know, Yorgos and Emma worked very closely together to develop Bella, the the main character Mm -hmm. in Poor Things. And honestly, what I think that comes down to that criticism of it is people are uncomfortable by all the sex in the film. And there's a lot of sex. Yeah. And I, I think, um, What's fascinating to me about some of this backlash, because I haven't been able to see it. It's not out in Madison yet. Mm-hmm. Um, why are people assuming that it was supposed to be a feminist message from the film? Like, Because I do think that is a message in it, that it's about her developing the sense of curiosity and, and wanting things for herself. I do think it is like a feminist message within the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but truly like the, the, the main criticism I've seen as like a feminist text is that they're like being a feminist isn't being obsessed with sex. Mm. And I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, this film isn't supposed to be like, 
representing all women. This is like Bella's journey and Bella's journey into feminism. And, you know, she, she learns to read and she becomes like a lover of books and, she realizes that she doesn't need a man like to be in a relationship and all that stuff. Um, but like, that's one aspect of her journey. She happens to really like sex and she likes having sex and she doesn't have to be married to the guy to enjoy having sex. She has sex with a woman too. Like she's just figuring stuff out. So I don't think Bella is supposed to like represent women. (laughs) This is just (laughs) supposed to be like Bella's journey. And like Bella happens to like sex and, I think that's great, but apparently some critics took issue with it. And I think it's part of this whole thing we've been talking about, which is y'all are prudes. Mm -hmm. You are big prudes. And I'm not saying you have to like, like seeing sex in films, but when you ding a very, very well-made film for showing sex, you seem ancient. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not a valid criticism. And I don't take you seriously. And I'm watching you from now on because I'm like, that's a bad take. I also think it's like a borderline dangerous take because Mm. I think we're getting into this territory now where it's sort of like, you shouldn't have sex in films. And that, my friends, is a step away from censorship. (laughs) So it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Like, if you didn't like the sex in this film, that's okay. But like, talk about the other aspects of the film. Like, it's a beautiful film. Like, every aspect of it, like the sets are incredible. The costumes are amazing. Um, I think there are excellent, excellent performances, including Emma and Mark Ruffalo, uh, Willem Dafoe, like top to bottom, great cast. You're harping on the sex. And it's like, that's a personal issue. And the fact that it has become like a legitimate part of criticism I'm kind of like what are what are we doing what's happening and also something that I remember when the movie was playing at film festivals was people were starting already to talk about the sex in it right and you know oh this is going to be controversial this is going to be you know why is it so explicit and I'm like and you know oh what is Yorgos doing and and he spoke pretty openly about how he came around to how great it was to have an intimacy coordinator on set because it freed up so much mental energy for the actors. They've literally done everything right. You know, you have Emma Stone, one of the biggest stars out there right now, working with a director that she clearly vibes with and clearly adores and clearly feels comfortable with making a film that has a ton of sex in it. Let's just let them make a super horny movie. I swear to you, I think part of the the reason people are freaking out about it is she's not like sexy in the sex scenes. Like she's very animalistic and sometimes they're really funny. Like, because, you know, she is just figuring out sex and she's very, very excited about it. <laughs> so she's like, very funny in the scenes too. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's part of it too. Like this is a woman doing sex scenes and she's not sexy in them. So it's very like jarring for some people, I think. Yeah. That there's the sex is in the film, but it's not titillating. Like it's a part of the story, but the point is not to arouse. And that is going to be extremely off putting to some people because they're not used to it being an actual essential part of a story when it's not for you, if that makes right. sense. It's, yeah. It's not the male gaze. It's like Bella gaze. Like yeah. this is what Bella wants. Bella gets whatever she wants in this film, which is like, it's such a like cathartic, funny film because it's, a, this is a woman who has like no shame and no guilt. So anytime a man tries to like guilt her, it just like runs right off of her. And it's so funny to watch Mark Ruffalo like try to manipulate her and it just does not work. Uh, It's very satisfying. So I love this film. I won't talk about it uh, too much more in depth because I don't want to spoil it for anybody because I know um, people aren't going to get to see it for a while. But I highly, highly recommend it. I think it's a a beautiful film. I, I do appreciate now though 
Yorgos had mentioned that one of his stylistic influences was um, Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels. Oh. And I just watched it yesterday and my God, did that visually influence him. And listen, I'm not one of these people who's like, you stole from blah, 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 blah. I realize everybody influences everybody. Everything in film is an homage to something that came before it. I understand that. But my God, like that fisheye look into the world and like the way he framed the shots, that's Wong Kar Wai. So if you like what Yorgos is doing, uh, what he's doing in his films, check out Wong Kar Wai because he's obviously a huge influence. And I think that's great. And I also think it's great that Yorgos is like shouting him out, you know? Oh, God. I mean, and Wong Kar Wai has forever been one of my favorite filmmakers. Fallen Angels Mm -hmm. is, you know, right up there at the top with In the Mood for Love, which is yeah, great one of the the few perfect films in existence. Beautiful. But yeah, yeah, but Fallen Angels still doesn't get enough love. So I think it's fantastic that he would just passionately, shamelessly, and with great glee ape things that Wong Kar Wai did 30 some years ago. (laughs) I think it was one of his, you know how Letterboxd ambushes actors on the red carpet now? (laughs) They're like, name your four favorite films and everybody freaks out. I think that was when they got Yorgos and that was one of his uh, favorite films, which I had never seen. So I was like, got to check it out. And then I watched it. I was like, oh my God, like visually it's so reminiscent. Um, Also, one of the actors in that movie is the the hottest man alive. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so next recommendation. By the way, do you have any recommendations before I just keep going? Uh, not at the moment. You should just okay. keep on going because you are a little bit ahead of me in terms of uh, <laughs> things I really want to see. So being insane I hear- and living at the movie theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so guys, Wonka good. And I know that's going to shock a lot of people. I have to say I'm very proud of us and this show and the fact that from the get-go, we were saying, don't bet against Paul King and Team Paddington fucking ever. And this cast is great. Why are y'all writing this off so quickly? And I have to admit, I saw that first trailer and I got nervous because I was like, why are they hiding the songs? Mm -hmm. And then I saw they were also doing that with The Color Purple and Mean Girls. And I was like, holy shit, this is just their strategy. There's the different studios, obviously, but like everybody's strategy. Um, And then I saw it. And guess what, guys? It's fucking magical. It's so sweet. You cannot go into this film with an ounce an ounce of cynicism because this film has zero cynicism. It really, really just believes that the world is a magical place and, you know, you can find your community and, um, that the, the best moments are the best moments because we share them with people we love. And that's what this film is about. The songs are great. Costumes are beautiful. Excellent cast who are a thousand percent committed. Um, Tammy finally gets to live his theater kid dreams. So that was another thing. Everybody was like, I think they just think of him as like this angsty, which he is. Like, that's his superpower in movies. He's very emotional as an actor. You bring him in the third act to make everybody cry. That's his superpower, right? But if you know anything about LaGuardia... This kid went to the fame school. Like he, his talent competitions have gone viral. He's like a singer and a dancer and he's a big goofball. And if you knew that about him, no one was surprised that he got cast as Wonka. But I guess if you just knew him from like Dune or Call Me By Your Name, you might be a little like, what? But I had faith the whole time. He is charming. Dude, he's magical. Like he really, really has something like where this was so out of his wheelhouse and he's still charming as fuck. So I'm like, Timmy's legit. He crushes it. Um, can you talk about Hugh Palumpa a okay, little bit? Yeah. <laughs> so can we just talk about Hugh Grant in general as a person? Cause he's been cracking me the fuck up on the press tour. Um, yeah. So that was another thing where like the CGI looked so weird and, and it's, I'll, I'll be real. It looks weird in the movie too, just cause like, how can it not? And I think it's supposed to look weird, you know? Um, he's really not in the film that much, but he shows up. He's super funny, like doing his classic Hugh Grant dry wit, um, does his little Oompa Loompa dance. And 
is basically like every other character in this movie, more or less, just trying to fuck over Willie. Like, (laughs) Willie's really got like a target on his back. Like, he is just like a wide-eyed optimist. He shows up to the city and everybody is trying to fuck him immediately. Where they're like stealing money from him. He somehow ends up in indentured servitude. Like, it's not good for Willie. And Hugh, Hugh Palumpa, is part of that. He... He's trying to get revenge because Willie was shady and stole some chocolate beans from the Oompa Loompas. And this Oompa Loompa was supposed to be guarding the tree. But guess what, Meredith? He fucking fell asleep. So he's in a lot of trouble with the other Oompa Loompas. So he's tracking. He's like hunting Willy Wonka to steal chocolate back so he can go back home, basically. Um, So they have like one encounter and then like a like a handful of scenes after that but honestly he's not in the film that much he feels a little tacked on like they sort of were like well we have to have an oompa loompa because it's wonka and i and this paul king obviously he's like i just worked with hugh grant in paddington and wouldn't it be funny to have like posh as fuck hugh grant play an oompa loompa and guess what it is fucking funny so Good job, Paul King. But Hugh has just been cracking me up. (laughs) Putting him, he's like the most British man alive and putting him with Timmy, who's the most American you can be, in interviews was really brilliant because like the yin-yang of that is like so funny because Timmy's so excited. And then Hugh just responding like, does not give a shit. Like is just there so he won't get fined, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's he's excited because he, you know, or, He's just fine doing the press tour because that's what you do when you're an actor. But this man's like, oh, I've been the hot shit before. I don't need this. I live in France. I just chill. Somebody get me back to my yacht. (laughs) I told you this. He keeps telling Timmy he looks like his mother, which is so funny to bring up in multiple interviews where I'm just like what are we doing here? Like, it's so strange. It's such a like weird mix of people, but it works. And that's how I feel about Wonka as well. Like, uh, Keegan, Michael, uh, Keegan, Michael key. Thank you. Uh, is also in it. He's wonderful. I will say my one criticism, and I really, really wish they hadn't done this. There's a fat joke. Everybody, uh, Keegan, Michael key plays a police commissioner who's addicted to chocolate. And over the course of the film, he gets fatter and fatter and fatter to Keegan's credit. He makes it as funny as he can, but fat jokes are not funny. Please stop putting actors in fat suits. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. I'm a little surprised Paul King did that. Um, but you know, maybe it shows that we need more education on the matter. Maybe it's just proof that even the director of Paddington and Paddington 2 is yes. not immune from the powers of maintaining IP. Like, he could not... Let's just pretend that he didn't want that in there, mm-hmm. but the studio decided, no, 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 no. We have to take this cop down a notch. The only or way we maybe can do it's it the fact, is, you know. Yeah, maybe it's the fact that that's a gag in the other movies, and they were kind of like, well, you have to have a fat person. Right, because Candy. Because Candy, yeah. It, it was just sort of like lazy in a film that is very sweet and ambitious and earnest. To have this, like, nasty moment was sort of like, you didn't need that, you know, especially because Keegan's so funny. Um he, he could have given him a million other things to to do and he would have crushed it. But that one small note aside, uh, it's so charming. I don't have kids. I'm excited by the idea that kids will get to watch this. Because, like, it is one of those great films, much like the Paddington films, you can appreciate it on two levels, which is the sort of, like, base level for kids where it's, like, funny and goofy, so silly, great songs and dances and they'll like it on that level but then there's also this like there's a chocolate cartel and there's police corruption and like the church is corrupt so there's like this level that adults can appreciate as well and to me those are really like the classic films and i i can't remember the last time we had a like a new holiday classic so that's very exciting as well oh yay i mean yeah. i probably won't see it until it comes out on streaming sure you know i i must admit but i am looking forward to it because i am also 
a Paul King super fan. And the fact that you liked it does carry a lot of weight. Because if you were telling me that it was good and just kind of left it there, I would probably be uh, more averse because do I really need to see a musical about like a musical prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? No, but or to Gene Wilder's. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I'm totally fine. Yeah, I keep saying that to people just because I'm like, no, no, it's a it's a prequel to the good one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would encourage people if you can see it in the theater, it's beautiful. Like it, it the sets are stunning and like it really harkens back to the MGM old school musicals. And listen, I don't know how much longer we're going to get those. So I would really encourage people, like, if you love movies, if you love movies like Singing in the Rain and stuff like that, try to see it in the theater. Um, I would like them to keep making movies like this because to me, it's sort of like, do you like going to the movies? You'll like this movie. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> this is what movies are. Like, everybody trying their best and, like, it's really beautiful and it's sweet. And, like, I, I, I'm glad I'm not a parent because I feel like parents have fewer and fewer options to take their kids to, to the movies. Cause it's either like dumb as fuck, like the trolls movie, no offense, but like but super offense. Mario or no. like, I know people like super Mario, or, but like whatever, or it's like way too sophisticated and over the kids heads. And they're sort of like, you know, they don't get it. They're bored. Um, and this I think hits that sweet spot where it's like, parents will like it. Kids will love it. There are all these really, really cute videos of, they let a bunch of kids in New York go see it for free and they're fucking losing their minds. In the it's so sweet. And I'm like, the world's such a shitty place. I'm glad that these kids got to go somewhere and hear about how their dreams are important and they shouldn't ever give up on them. Like that's awesome. Yeah. And it stars their favorite King twink, Timmy Chalamet. Listen, and now that's their Wonka. And I know people were very emotionally attached to Gene Wilder because he was the best. And But here's the thing. If you sit a kid down in 2023 to watch the Gene Wilder version, they get bored and they don't want to watch it because it's old and kids don't like old things. But this is a new version that they can like connect with and they love a lot. And it's like, it's a, it's a great message and it's well done what the fuck else do you people want? <laughs> like Paul King is King. Stop questioning team Paddington. He's don't do anything wrong. He's taking Paddington to darkest Peru in the next installment. And Can't the wait. man loves to make movies that are not cynical. We should celebrate it. Even if yeah, it's not also, fully my bag, I will support it because we need more not cynical films. Not cynical and also just like give it a chance. Like when you see a trailer and you react, so people are so weird about nostalgia. And like, listen, I'm sure I'm like that too. If they ever try to remake Clue with a bunch of 20 year olds, I'll lose my fucking mind, you know? But things, we're all getting older, guys, and our stuff's not cool anymore. And that's okay, you know? Like, I know it means a lot to you, but a 10 year old doesn't want to watch Gene Wilder. <laughs> You know, they want a new movie. And like, I think that's okay. And I know there's a whole like sort of cynical IP money grab aspect to the story, but just like take my word for it. If you watch the film, this is not a cynical film. This is not a cynical cash grab. This was Paul King loved this story and thought he could bring something new to it. And he did. And this is, I mean, the fact that it's a Warner Brothers movie and that, yep. uh, you know, the giant monster that is David Zaslav was involved with it. Like <laughs> that man has never had an original thought no. to have a movie birthed from the money grubbing hands of that toad mm-hmm. actually be good Miracle. is a triumph in itself. And it's the, like, I was going to say to his credit, but it's, it's the fact that he's not a creative and he doesn't want anything to do with it. He just left them the fuck alone. <laughs> and, like, and also like Paul King had like two Paddingtons under his belt. So it's kind of that I shouldn't have phrased it that way. I'm so sorry, everybody. Um, Paddington's not in his pants. Uh, <laughs> Paddington does had, not wear pants. 
Paddington does not wear pants. He's not in anybody's pants. He's eating marmalade. He's fine. Don't worry about Paddington. Um, he had already done the two films. So he was a little like, I know what I'm doing guys. And I, I do think they got lucky though, because there was so much non-creative thought that went into it initially, which is like, we have the IP, give it to Paul King. He's the Paddington guy. Who's our WB guy. We got Timmy, you know, over here, let's like slot him in here. And it worked, you know? And I think a lot of people initially were, were confused by it, but listen, the people who knew we fucking knew it was going to be magical and it's magical. So recommendation for Wonka. I also got to see Godzilla minus one, everybody. Which I am seeing in a few short hours. I am yes. so psyched. Yes. So I will speak about it very generally. No spoilers. Um, this is a film directed by Takashi Yamazaki. And maybe the best Godzilla film I've ever seen. Um, and the thing that it really gets right, which is such a basic note, that we've mentioned so many times on this show before, but it's shocking how many filmmakers still struggle with it or ignore it completely, which is you have to care about the characters to care about what's happening in the movie. <laughs> so <laughs> very basic, right? But like a lot of these like high budget, high concept disaster films, they don't really develop the characters. Like shit starts to go down city's getting blown up and you don't really care. And you're not like afraid for the characters because you don't care about the characters. They nail the characters in this movie. Uh, it's, it's my favorite thing, which is uh, a team of uh, misfits getting together to fight the fight. And we meet all these misfits and they all got their own little personalities and uh, they become a team and it's fucking awesome. There's a great romance um, that's also really beautifully told. And you care about these characters. So when Godzilla shows up every like, I don't know, 15 minutes to half an hour, because um, the movie's sort of paced as like, here's Godzilla. Oh my God. Human story. Oh my God. Godzilla's back. Human story. <laughs> you know, like they keep going back and forth. <laughs> But that's great because when Godzilla shows up, you're like, oh, my God, I'm really afraid for them, you know? Yeah. And and I think that it's just wonderful to have it also be not the American Godzilla, you know? hundred like, percent. Uh, you know, I, recently, I rewatched The Host, the bomb mm -hmm. movie, mm -hmm. which is also a disaster film with a giant monster, but is fundamentally actually a family story. Also a, like political too. With oh pollution yeah, and yeah. Stuff. But that's a great example of it's political, but it's sort of like seamlessly political. Like yeah. there is an environmental story in here, but we're not being hit over the head with it. Yeah. There's, there's a, so much going on that you don't actually immediately glom onto the fact that like this is about pollution right and but it's but it is about this ridiculous dysfunctional family figuring out how they can put aside their being fucked up and save one of their family members and if you didn't have that grounding it wouldn't work so it's wonderful to think that godzilla minus one also does this it's just the only way you can make a disaster movie that actually functions. Yeah. And as you said, it, it's so much more impactful because a Japanese team wrote it and made it. So there's a lot about like World War II. And this isn't a spoiler because it's in the synopsis of the film, but the, the protagonist is a kamikaze pilot who did not complete his mission and comes home in like great shame and is rejected by his community, um, which is why he, you know, volunteers to fight Godzilla because he's kind of like, well, I didn't complete my mission. This is my mission now. So there's like this amazing motive for the character. And it, it gets into like very, very big thematic questions about like morality and what it means to be a man and like really ambitious for a Godzilla movie, you know, but I think it's like really beautiful by the end. You're like fucking moved to tears. Like 
I should, yeah, I should say Godzilla minus one made me cry and Wonka made me cry. <laughs> You've just been crying. But for good reason. For good reason. Like, if you develop the characters, if I care about the story, you can make me cry. And I really cared about the characters in Godzilla. So I did cry watching a Godzilla movie, which goes to show you it's fucking good, guys. Ugh, I'm so excited. So yeah, I'm excited. excited for you too. Please text me your thoughts when you get out. Oh, I will. And chances are I will also write you and say that I started crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing, guys. I know it seems like I cry in every movie. I don't. I just go see good movies that happen to make me cry. Um, I'm going to tell you a movie that didn't make me cry, and I'm going to anti-recommend it, everybody. Ooh, we've got an anti-rec. Yeah. A rare moment of negativity on this show. <laughs> um. Leave the world behind is real bad. <laughs> I saw that you gave it one Ooh. star on Letterboxd <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. But yeah. then promptly did not ask you about it because I wanted to hear your thoughts on the show, actually. Can I go the fuck off for a second? Please do. Is this a safe space for me to go the fuck off? So I listen to a few film podcasts and a couple of them happen to be very good friends with Sam. Esmail. And they have him on the show frequently as like a guest. And I lost quite a bit of respect for a couple podcasts who gave this a good review because I know they're doing it because they're friends with Sam Esmail. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, guys. Maybe you actually convinced yourselves you like it. I don't think so. I think they gave it a good review because they're friends with them. And I was like, that sucks. Like, I know it's not easy to criticize a friend. But the fact that you you weren't even on the fence about it. You were like, this is good. I'm like, y'all just lied to these people. <laughs> oh, God. Outright. So, outright. Tell us more. Give me every yeah. detail about why this movie sucks so hard. Okay. So it fails, in my opinion, at every level. So it's a phenomenal cast. So a lot of people got really excited because like it's Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke and Mershahala Ali and like... A plus 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 cast, right? Like, so I think that in itself, like Kevin Bacon's in it briefly, people got really excited because it was like, well, if you have this amazing cast, people like Mr. Robot, which was, you know, I think Sam's last biggest achievement, unless I'm forgetting something. Um, so it was like an interesting pairing, like the Mr. Robot guy with this cast. Okay. It is the story is so stupid, like very, very bad, um, where it's sort of like an event happens. There's like a mass blackout, internet service goes down. They're in like an Airbnb in the country, um, Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, and their, their kids. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. The entire film is like <laughs> various conspiracy theories about what it might be. And I think it's supposed to be like a critique of fear and our modern culture and how conspiracy theories are memified and how it, it, you're really never supposed to be afraid. Like truly the message of the movie is you shouldn't be afraid of like the government <laughs> because like random people might be committing acts of terrorism. Like the Havana syndrome is part of it. Oh, fuck's sake. Yeah, it's really, really bad. So the CGI sucks. Um, and I know I'm being harsh, guys, but I'm just like, I'm stunned it fails so spectacularly on so many levels and people are still saying it's good. I'm kind of like, what is happening at this point? Um, I hated Julia Roberts' character. And like, admittedly, she's supposed to be a very flawed uh, racist. She's a racist um, character. Um She's staying like in the story. Uh, they're staying in Mahershala's home and that he has Airbnb out to them. And he shows up at the house because all of the shit is going down. And because he is black and his daughter is black, Julia Roberts is a racist piece of sh shit to him until I guess they're supposed to have like a romantic scene together that is like not convincing or good in any way. And I thought pretty offensive considering the fact that she was so racist to them beforehand. Anyway. Um, there's some really, really hokey camera moves that Sam's playing with that I thought really reminded me of like the worst of M. Night Shyamalan. Like oh, really God. like schlocky 
over-stylized. Um, why are we moving the camera this way in this scene? Is it just because it's a boring scene and you're trying to make it more dynamic? Yes. Um, and then, yeah, ultimately an unsatisfying ending. So I won't spoil it in case like you do still want to watch it, which by the way, good for you. Like you should always watch a film you want to watch regardless of the critics. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty, a spectacular failure. Oh God. I haven't even read anything about it. It's because it's it's, bad, Meredith. Well, right. I mean, I I don't have any interest in it since I've, you know, you told me that it sucked. And why, you know, also, it's like there's a problem with electronics, like our electric cars revolt or something. I don't know. I I literally don't know what this movie is supposed to be about. Please, can you please explain what the story is? So, okay. Uh, well, th- that's the thing. You're confused because we never get a clear explanation of what's happening. So th- systems have just started to fail. So the lights go out, the internet goes out. As you mentioned, uh, Teslas, it's specifically Teslas, are now manned by some uh, evil foreign entity. We don't know who it is. And they are just like ramming them into each other on the highway. So I, a friend of mine was like, I was on the fence about watching this. And I was like, actually, I want you to watch it because I want your thoughts. And then she like texted me the next day furious because she hated it. (laughs) She was just like, how are the Teslas still online if the internet's down? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, magic? Huh? Because we wanted it in the screenplay because we thought that would be a cool scene. Like, this is what I mean that the story, the movie just fails on like every level. It doesn't make sense. We never get a satisfying, um, explanation it's just a bunch of stuff that they thought would be cool and creepy with like characters I don't like um and yeah I if I could say a nice thing Ethan Hawke's trying his best (laughs) I guess guys Uh, I don't know I I don't even think it's like a watch because it's on streaming like there's so many other good things on streaming to watch. I'm kind of stunned that this cast made this movie. Oh, like of, of any screenplay, of any director, they could have gotten to work with these amazing actors. The fact that they were wasted on this product project really is like heartbreaking. And yeah, I feel like this is one that you're going to be furious about for like years to come. Like, can I tell you on vacation somewhere and you're going to be like, God, I'm still so mad about it. What really has me heated is like, okay, I, I think I like Sam. I really like Mr. Robot making a movie is hard. I don't know what happened. This was a failure, right? That would not normally get me this worked up. What is getting me this worked up is the fact that so many podcasts are pretending it's good because they like Sam. And I'm like, y'all, first of all, you're doing a disservice to him because like he deserves honest critique. And the like, I couldn't make it through the episode because I was so like, and again, I don't want to say like you're lying because maybe you have convinced yourself that this is good, but I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I guess this is just sort of a cautionary tale about having creators on your show because it's like, if you can't be honest about it, then it's like, what's the point? Like, what are we doing? Right, right. Are you, I think I know which podcast you're talking about. I'm not going to name them, but yeah. I'll I'll tell you off air, but I like, the reason it made me really sad is I really respect them as critics. And to me, this was just like dereliction of duty. (laughs) Where I was like, y'all are lying to this man. Like, tell him the truth. Um, But yeah, so anti-rec for that, guys. If you saw it and you disagree, or if you have thoughts, um, feel free to tweet us to email light treason news at gmail uh, or right on my patreon because you might feel differently and everybody's entitled to their own opinions um so i i have two quick recommendations before we close out and we take our break for the holidays go for it um, please i was a little dick for so long about slow horses because i don't know what kind of headspace i was in when i started that show um but I, for whatever reason, I was really bored during season one and I didn't finish it. <laughs> like, I think I had the last episode left in the season and I didn't finish, which rewatching it is insane because I was so engaged and it's like so exciting. And um, I'm a couple episodes behind. I, I think they're on season three now, but 
it's so good. If you're into like spy shit and like, you know, I was going to say Jason Bourne, but, but it's a little more like bureaucratic. Um, mm-hmm. The characters are great. Story's fascinating. A, a rare uh, Gary Oldman performance that I really like. <laughs> that you're like, um, oh, you're so good. I'm not going to think about the fact that you're kind of a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. Um, you have Timothy Chalamet's Oscar. <laughs> like all of that stuff. I'll forgive it all because this performance is so good. And it's like sort of weaponizing everything that's good about him for good. (laughs) Like every trick he has as an actor is being used in slow horses to maximum effect. And you're sort of like, you're reminded of why he's one of the greatest living actors. You're like, ah, right. That that's why you're good. You're not this like cartoon version of yourself when you're playing Winston Churchill, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then a comedy recommendation, everybody on Paramount plus it's called Colin from accounts. And it's a very funny, Australian uh, comedy. I don't want to give too much away, but it's it's about uh, a man and a woman who meet through uh, an unfortunate accident and uh, their relationship afterwards. And it's very funny. Um, the episodes are pretty short, so you can like get through it pretty quickly. So I think it would be a really good uh, binge from home. Ooh, I'm excited about this. I've heard good things about Colin from accounts. So I'm also looking forward to it. Might be one of the things that I get into next week when I'm trying to wind down. Yeah, I think you should definitely watch it. It is a good wind down uh, show. Not that like, they deal with like a couple serious things, but it's always like rescued by very, very funny comedy. Um, and also it's cute. The The couple in the show are also a couple in real life. They wrote the show together. So it, it's very sweet. Oh, yeah, we love it. We love love on this show, guys. <laughs> we do. We might be cynical, heartless bitches, but we do love love. Yeah. I also, I'm not going to even put this in the recommendation uh, um, synopsis because it's so old, but on the off chance people have not watched it yet, No Hard Feelings is fucking hilarious. (laughs) It's so good. I would describe Jennifer Lawrence's performance as sexually frightening. Um, She's so, I want her to do more stuff like this because it's so in her bag and it's like, quite a difficult thing to pull off (laughs) like to have someone who has like the comedic chops to do something like this and I'm gonna say it bravery because she's completely I had heard that she's naked in this movie but what they don't tell you is she is naked kicking people's asses so she is completely naked fighting people Oh my God. It's so good. I was like crying laughing. Um so if you are one of the handful of people who haven't seen it yet, um, please check it out. Yeah. No hard feelings. And for the love of God, let Jennifer Lawrence have fun. Oh my God, please, please. Another one who has like earned it at this point. It's like, let her do whatever the fuck she wants. Although now at this point, remember last time we talked about this, we were like, she and Amy Schumer are going to work on something. And we were like, yay. And now it's like, please stay away from Amy Schumer. Please don't do that. That sounds like a terrible idea. Maybe she should go work with Yorgos. I think Amy Schumer needs to go like into the woods for a while and uh, turn off internet access and just have like a good long think. Well, I was (laughs) saying that Jennifer Lawrence should go work with Yorgos. Amy Schumer should get in the sea. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Get in the sea. Get in the sea. Um, yeah. So everybody, that's our episode for the day. Please follow uh, Meredith and myself. We're both on Blue Sky. I'm also on X, unfortunately. Um, Instagram, all that good stuff. And you can follow the show too. Email us at lighttreason at gmail. Go to patreon.com slash Kilkenny for as little as $5 a month. You get to skip the line. Basically, anything you want to tell me, I'll read it on the show unless it's like uh, a death threat or um, super sad or anything (laughs) that would like bring down the show is what I'll say. So keep it light. Let's all keep it light. And uh, yeah, have a wonderful holiday season. And am I forgetting anything? No. You know why I keep fucking up the outro? We don't have Ron anymore. We don't have Ron anymore. We need a new rallying cry. I should pay for a cameo from Ron to do... 
the the outro of the show. <laughs> Be very funny and confusing for everyone. Uh, yeah, have a wonderful rest of your weekend while you're at it. Get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs>